I would like to welcome everybody who was able to make it, and I'm sure there are many, many more of you coming. So today we're going to be talking to Pavel, and he's an interaction designer and creative technologist. He's also a lecturer at the Royal Academy of Art, which is in The Hague, and he also is a speaker. And he has two TED Talks, which I found, which were very fascinating, and we will link it later, so do look at it. Would you like to say something more? I also forgot to mention that since we're doing this with a collaboration with Open Elective, he was the instructor for this course, which was very ironically titled Artificial Stupidity and Machine Unlearning. <laughs> yeah, it's a small provocation. Uh, and of course, I was thinking of a catchy title. Uh, we are looking critically and conceptually at uh, 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 artificial intelligence and machine learning tools and practices. Um, trying to, yeah, propose a more, I would say, playful, but also more um, discursive uh, um, uh, approach to these technologies in design. Uh, think of the local context um, and, and ethics of um, AI. Therefore, my ironic title, because yeah, not all of the AI is actually intelligent and not all, all of the uh, machine learning is done, done well. So maybe we also need to propose certain practices of unlearning the machines in order to um, create a, a better, better, um, um, better solutions. Yeah, definitely. So I would like to start with the question, what exactly is interaction design? I was listening to a podcast where you said that this is a term that you were not entirely comfortable with. So I would like to know what can you tell us about how and if this term actually defines your practice and when or why did you start referring to yourself as creative technologist, interaction designer? Well, I studied interaction design. I did a bachelor and master degree here in the Netherlands. Uh, and uh, obviously I'm you know, I'm an interaction designer, but I have a love-hate relationship to this uh, discipline because it's been called as a human-centered approach to um, technology. Uh, but it turned out over the years that it's also very corporate-oriented, <laughs> corporate-centered uh, practice, yeah. uh, very commercially uh, driven and uh, not critical enough for me. Uh, the circuits around interaction design are often like UX, uh, you know, UI uh, circuits are often quite, um, hmm, uh, yeah, I would say uh, reluctant to do, to go a bit deeper into the, um, let's say, um, something I like to like, like to call humane technology. Often, you know, if something is human centric, it can mean, you know, we humans are good and bad. We are good and evil <laughs> to a certain extent. And I'm a bit discontent with the evil sides and uh, the, the wrongdoings of also interaction designing designers in that field, making things usable, friendly, ergonomic, efficient, but not sometimes not looking into the more complex ethical issues uh, behind technologies that they work for or design for. So I guess I am uh, a kind of interaction critic critique of uh, a critic of uh, interaction design at the same time but um yeah what can i say um uh, i was you know i was a nerd of the 90s uh, um, okay. you know, excited about the emergence of new tools um and technologies um internet and uh, back then uh, 
pursuing a career in interaction design was was the thing to do for me because I wanted to be between technology and people, you know, uh, uh, trying to to to, um, to at least prototype certain new types of uh, interaction. And of course, people like Steve Jobs and you know this this uh, this great designers who pushed the digital revolution to new horizons. This was a big inspiration. But at the same time, I was also always uh, always very much interested in interactive art in media arts where more uh, critical, progressive uh, thoughts, uh, even activistic, you know, um, ideas about technology were uh, uh, were discussed. So I'm somewhere between interaction design as like you know, applied design practice and interactive art, where you have more of experimental um, uh, experimental things going on. And I guess this is also makes me maybe slightly different from the common interaction design practice because I, I very yeah. much like qualitative design also and art and less applied uh let's say uh uh projects so how did you find out about design and design research and under what circumstances did you decide to pursue a career in this field you partly answered half of that question but what was the what is the moment you decided to completely delve deeper into it you did say that you were an 80s nerd. So does that have something to do with this? Definitely, it, it, it has. Um, but also, you know, when I arrived to the, I lived half, half of my life in the Netherlands. And I must say that the Netherlands is a designed country. It would not exist without design because it's under the sea level. So the Dutch had to uh, figure out how to, you know, make this country, how to sustain this uh, piece of land. Uh, by amazing investments and uh, into infrastructure um, uh, to to prevent the water <laughs> to, to to keep the water away, so I must say that being here in this very rich environment of um, yeah with design thinking involved in almost any uh, public and private activities here uh, so this is very yeah it was a very vital and very uh, fruitful environment for me to yeah pursue this career in interaction design and speculative design uh, design criticism and research this is a place to be because these types of activities are also quite subsidized here uh, you can uh, okay. easily uh, receive funding for let's say doing yeah applied non-applied design so it's quite interesting that uh, it's not so much you you it's, it's a privilege obviously to uh, to enjoy this type of uh, environment where you can do that do that also let's say make a living out of that i'm very well, honest that sounds the yeah. position of privilege it's not the case in many many other countries uh, where you need to con yeah you need to establish a professional practice that's also legitimized in one way or the other by this economic framework uh, and uh, here it's different and we can also in academia uh, and, and uh, the field of education and design research we can speculate about the futures of design normative or non-normative futures um, on a daily basis it's a very uh, okay but that is a very interesting place to be yes it's definitely an interesting practice because i don't see that around I mean, I don't see that happening around me because many people do say that it might be a waste of time. But then this feels like this, this is the way to go because this is really being sensitive towards a lot of aspects. Yeah, that's what, what we understood now, nowadays that design research is needed 
for good design, you know, because the world is very complex and we don't, for instance, yeah. not only have the human-centered perspective because we need an envir environment-centered perspective and we also need technology-centered perspective. You know, these, all these, this triangle of environment, human and technology needs to be discussed and then you deal with so many different bodies of knowledge. Uh, I don't remember who said that, but, you know, design is too important to leave it only to designers, you know, like it's, <laughs> we, we need other disciplines, other bodies of knowledge to um, discuss design and make design and speculate about design futures from these different perspectives. Therefore, the books behind me, I guess, uh, you know, <laughs> today designers need to do research all the time and be very curious about different uh, disciplines. Uh, and uh, uh, developments in the field of, you know, economy, social studies, cultural studies, gender studies, uh, polit politics, uh, technology, and so on, art, and so on, and so on, and so on. Next is a slightly more professional question. Do you have any inspirations, people you would like to work with? Uh, I was just wondering to, I mean, yeah, I was just curious about that. Any specific people works? Um, well, I'm recently quite involved into discovering, um, yeah, I like to read <laughs> and, uh, let's say my, uh, my, there's a, you know, certain authors that I, uh, really admire or, uh, look up to. And there's been, yeah, people from very different fields. I've been always reading, you know, like Bruce Sterling or, uh, Lev Manovich from, let's say, the more like media theory uh, circuit. Right now I'm more reading anthropologists and um, like um, Arturo Escobar, uh, theory okay. of design for the pl uh, pluriversal world. Um, they are my, so I, I struggle with maybe mentioning specific designers or um, authors that um, are active in the field. I'm rather, um, yeah, I'm rather following theorists and this is my main source of inspiration for okay. my, my research work as well. So I noticed in one of the videos you had said, we were talking about how certain languages and certain concepts in mathematics weren't always taught in schools, but then eventually that became the curriculum. And when I take this back to you, did I mean, you did take it back to coding. And so I wanted to ask it for all of us who are often intimidated or we believe that we have a natural aversion towards understanding these concepts. And I think you convinced me really well that I need to get into it. So I would like you to actually explain our relationship, just laid bare out our relationship with technology, why we need to delve so deeply into it and understand, reflect, and actually learn about it truly. Yeah, I mean, I think there is no way out. Eh? The digital literacy is key. Uh, people, uh, like as, as Douglas Rushkoff uh, said once in, in this book, uh, program or be programmed, right? So <laughs> if we, if yeah. Get some at least fundamental affinity with uh, with code. Um, uh, you know, it's not needed that everybody. Uh, it's it's not needed to become a hardcore, you know, like, uh, programmer or understand really everything. But at least to have some fun, to some fundamentals to be basically an aware citizen. It's not even for the profession of design in general. I I see there's a really 
the digital revolution uh, did not fully happen yet. There is still so much to do in our you know, primary schools, secondary schools, and for sure at universities and, and studies like design, there should, be, uh, yeah, there should be an emphasis on that because that's whether we want it or not, this is what's going on in the world. We are so dependent on, on technology and we need to be aware of how technology works and how to work with that technology in order to uh, be, uh, yeah, in order to propose really ethical um, yeah, solutions. So um, truly re liberating uh, people because there are a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of manipulation, a lot of um, shady corners <laughs> in, in, uh, in, in this industry. So, um, and, and it's not as difficult as it seems to be. There are many environments for like creative coding. Uh, everybody can start with some few tutorials online and to, to yeah, just, you know, to get on hands dirty with the inner workings of the computer. Because, you know, like we are with the, you know, with smartphones, we are often sliding on the surface of technology. We are not really looking what's in the black box, but we are just users, consumers. And, you know, user is often a loser you know the user can be uh, very passive in fact like the, the the idea of interaction sure there are a lot of interactive tools but uh, is that user fully critical is that user fully aware of of the inner workings of the system he or she uses or they use it right um yeah. This is very, uh, very important. Uh, and that awareness in academia and in design studies, for sure. So I think I call also for a yeah, mm, uh, reform of design education where this, uh, yeah, uh, looking into ethics and specifically ethics of technology should be at the center of uh, design processes, thinking processes and research. Definitely. Speaking of ethics, this is a very... I think a lot of people have debated it and I do want to know your opinion about the relationship between data and empathy. You did bring up the fact that when you need to empathize with someone, you need to have certain information that you, you may not be currently privy to. So that sort of builds on to that feedback loop where you can empathize with the situation and then solve a problem. But I feel like many designers directly jump into solving problems instead of first identifying the problem. So where is this line between like who owns my data and how do I have control over it when I actually share it? And I, if I don't share it, people can't empathize with me. So how do you negotiate that? Hmm. Uh, well, it's a complex question. <laughs> yeah. uh, not easy to answer, um, but I would say, you know, in our human interactions and interactions with data. Um, of course, we, the last years we've been facing a lot of wrongdoing uh, out there, uh, misuse of uh, data, um, uh, unjustified data collection, and also certain unethical practices around it. So you know, the trust is broken. <laughs> Uh, or threatened at least, and that creates a disruption between you know the designers and also users. I would say so. That's uh, where the participatory design uh, needs to come in. We need a uh, larger engagement of users in whatever we you know whatever is being designed. Uh, uh, public control and transparency is needed, and not a practice of monetization 
commodification of uh, our interactions, not this uh, hierarchical uh, structures in tech uh, industry. It's really a big problem, uh, which is conserving capitalism as we knew it, uh, turning it into so-called surveillance uh, capitalism, as Shoshana Zuboff uh, rightly uh, uh, described in her book. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, there will be processes in the future around data which could lead to, I don't know, certain collectivization of Facebook or, <laughs> or, or uh, let's movements that would call for um, unionizing, you know, or having democratic control over the inner workings of technologies. I do see it coming because awareness is raising. Uh, design has a role in there because uh, only design can make it a little bit more accessible to people to understand uh, what what terms of <laughs> what terms and agreements or terms and conditions they are uh, signing. Uh, you know, um, this is something that I think is very important to all of us, especially everybody who's attending the open elective and students who are aspiring designers in India. Okay. As a person, you have talked about being very sensitive to the local context. So is, is there, I mean, are there certain tendencies that you can bracket, which uh, it comes to your mind when you say Indian context? Is there any way to bracket certain tendencies that might not work very well if scaled up to an international audience? Yeah, so there are two uh, reflections here. Uh, you know, uh, you know, of course, as a, uh, a tall white man living in Western Europe, you know, as soon as I engage with uh, design practice or um, design research in, you know, in the global south, I'm in a you know, a bit of a difficult position, right? Uh, so obviously my uttermost needs and requirement for that is to uh, to work inclusively uh, in a participatory um, fashion with the local communities. And uh, this is what, what fascinates me, how I can do it how to do it well and again following a certain certain ethical principles that I believe in. Um, I have I think regarding a question there are two uh, points of attention. So one is yeah how upscaling local projects can be a problem but my concern from my perspective is what the what the global solutions in technology, for instance, in design, what they, what harm they do to the local, uh, to the local. Uh, so I'm, I, for me, it's a bit hard to think from like Indian context to the rest of the world. I rather think of the the world, how that it it maybe undermines certain local uh, developments. Uh, that's my main uh, sort of uh, struggle or uh, reflection on uh, global tech. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, in my examples, I, I always like to talk about social, you know, social apps and solutions like, you know, dating apps and things of that, of that kind, which kind of propose some, some type of a model of how things should work for management or maintenance of relationship between people. And it's, it's so Northwestern centric. So yeah, when it comes to Global South and, and you know, the different reality of, uh, in India specifically, very uh, different type of environment. Yeah, how to, how to, how to resolve this dissonance, you know, this, 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 this conflict yeah, between the sort of Western values or ideologies 
put into these technologies and respect for tradition and uh, certain local um, local customs. You know, this is something that uh, I think any technology can be scalable from local to global. So glo local, <laughs> every you know, every technology can have these two dimensions. Uh, and obviously, we also spread around the world, uh, right, different nationalities, uh, and so forth. So I guess, we always think locally and globally at the same time. But uh, the emphasis on local is very needed. Uh, because we do forget a lot of that in design processes. Technology is somehow all in itself a bit insensitive to the local context because you deal with cultural, with you know, cultural aspects, with uh, yeah, of course, ethical aspects, with uh, certain political situation, economic situation. So yeah, you can't design in a vacuum, you know, in a limbo, uh, in a, in a, some kind of space that is unrelated to these factors. And this is what makes NID great as well as a very, uh, you know, interesting institution uh, in India trying to pursue, uh, of course, its own legacy, you know, in design thinking, in design uh, practice and design research. Very, very important of a global outreach, local importance, but also global outreach, uh, which fascinates okay. me. And yeah, I think uh, this is for me also a great opportunity to be able to speak to you and connect also to the open electives uh, to see, to establish new type of alliances uh, for the young generation of designers. Uh, how the, exactly the Indian uh, way of thinking, Indian um, imagination um, um, uh, and knowledge, how this can potentially... Uh, be an inspiration for for us here in Europe, for instance. And I do already experience it with my students in the open electives. I'm so yeah, so uh, delighted to hear how they think, how they process the things they encounter with technology, with design, how they they relate to that and try to come up with alternatives to what we usually do over here. So I guess it's. Um, yeah, it's a it's a process. It's not easy. It's it's in many places around the world. The the more and we need emancipatory design thinking and design processes come from the global south for sure. Big, big, um, how to say, uh, enthusiast of that type of movements uh, from academic circuits, but also alternative groups, underground groups, activistic, activistic groups, uh, progressive thinkers in the global south. We really need you for uh, resolving, correcting certain reality. We, we all ended up with the global reality of technology that is problematic here and there. So uh, the voice from the South uh, counts very much or is even the primary that I would like to hear. <laughs> well, this actually raises a very interesting question for me because um, we talked about internalizing the black box. You said that there's an input and then there's an output and there's the black box and this is a system that we work with, but often we're taught how to actually perceive through this black box because it is conditioning us. And this, when you're taught how to interact with a system, you are already handed a platter of what you believe to be its rules and constraints. So when you talk about emancipatory design or if you're talking about progressive thinkers, you are still working within what you believe to be the rules and constraints. So what is the alternative to it? Because I was reading a paper on something called civilian aided design, 
but mm-hmm. it's not they're just not participants in the design process but they are actually the end user mm-hmm. so instead of thinking yeah so what was what are your thoughts on that yes so when it comes to the black box theory and uh, you know we have two different we have different energies as creatives as as creatives you know uh, what often is forgotten in design thinking is the more disruptive provocative hacktivistic approach that's why i like to that's why i sympathize with artists and activists because they have this energy to disrupt you know or criticize we really very much need it a design is often very consensual or very how to say like um uh, uh design often is solutionist so and a bit like uh, considerate considerate about different you know stakeholders and trying to be um, like uh, balance different voices and it's it's good it's that's that's more more positive and like very i would say uh yeah considerate approach uh, and and design that 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 i like but it's, but at the same time when it comes to all these black boxes around it we need to stay critical and suspicious also about how they work what they do and and anywhere if the you know they if you work as a designer for a company and you are on some you know working on a specific uh, element in the in the in the design process always be critical stay aware uh, and uh, ask questions about the bigger picture of uh, what you design yeah of of uh, of the assignment you are, you are given so um um so i don't know if that answers answers your question but you know i like to interact with in the with the black boxes in very different ways sometimes i open try to 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 reveal the mystery and uh dismantle sometimes I try to break the black box you know sometimes i like to make an alternative black box that does things better or differently so it really depends uh what type of um project it is and what is what tools you need but Uh, again this uh, something between design and art or activism and actually constructivism you know is needed i would say okay well we do not have time for the last question so i was just taking question from the audience the jashwini dev asks what's your view on state and direct manipulation in different platforms and gadgets um state of direct manipulation yes uh well you know i think that uh, that that depends uh, what specific platforms or gadgets we mean i think every case is different i am uh, i wouldn't say that all manipulation is bad you know we are uh, when we watching films uh, which we enjoy so much we also being manipulated into a specific story i mean uh, manipulation can be uh, it's what everybody does in some way or the other we also probably manipulate try to manipulate each other in in human relation you know so i think i wouldn't have one judgment on this uh, direct indirect manipulation also uh, there's discrete manipulation more direct manipulation uh, i don't really so maybe i don't really ask the question and be ambiguous about it i just think that uh, yeah we need to stay critical all the time and aware that we might be manipulated unconsciously or being used for something as we are when we i don't know fill in captcha texts when logging in somewhere and training some military machines maybe on <laughs> yeah this is a kind of thing that i don't like this 
manipulation that is quite sneaky and uh yeah makes me very disappointed in also the designers and uh and uh and industries that uh, implement tools that are that have a double agenda or maybe even one agenda but yeah questionable one um neha agnihotri asks does the personality of the programmer slash coder get reflected while designing software and how it affects yes i think it it uh, it can be reflected of course uh, i see programming and coding as as poetry uh, it's even how the structure of code looks like it's not a prose it's not a novel you know written from left to right or it's uh, it's uh, going more vertically and uh, you have these phrases and different moments and uh, i would say logical statements uh, conditional statements and uh, so for me it's poetry and uh, definitely if you open a code and uh, see the artist or see the thinker see the philosopher and in in just the very structure of the code but also in what the code does and how it does it so that's why that's where the term creative coding comes in where you are let's say the artistry or even crafts or identity philosophy comes across stronger than in this applied you know engineering type of way way of coding but also within in field of uh, uh let's say applied programming i guess and um express someone's identity uh in one way or the other yeah but again a lot of coding today is done collectively it's it's you know like i'm not sure if we're seeing the person in the end that's maybe uh the problem as well because of these processes are so again uh commodified that that uh, the the individual voice often uh, loses uh or or individual vision or but there are the field of interactive arts or uh yeah also speculative design and and creative coding shows that this is possible so we need more of that we need very we need more choices we need way more options for uh, for tools we use it's 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 then we could you know we could use platforms that have really an identity and that we can also relate the identity of a specific platform or solutions to a person and uh, his or her or their vision well that was actually a very beautiful answer thank you you're welcome yeah. <laughs> i think we've actually run out of time and this always happens but we would have loved to have longer more in-depth conversations with you bring up many questions and we hope to have you on another session very soon thank you for your time i'm open to it. thank you very much for the invitation and uh yeah any other further conversation on the so called humane uh, technology uh, more uh, yeah good technology good design solution i'm very much willing to ask question uh, to answer questions or engage in a discussion with the community of nid so looking forward to the next uh, the next encounter I think if anybody has more questions they can actually get in touch with you if sure. I think you had mentioned that before sure I'm I'm learning with you I'm learning through that a lot as well so please it's for me a food spot uh, which uh, is difficult because of the pandemic it's a bit more difficult to to reach to each other I mean uh, to meet and that's uh, not not yeah exactly when we need it when 
to talk about global and local problems and design and technology we are you know it's we are we are on distance to each other and that's that's uh, that's that's a big big problem for me uh, it disrupts my own uh, research into design futures normative or non-normative futures so thank you for uh, um, thank you to nid for um, giving also us uh, the lecturers uh, or thinkers from outside of india this opportunity to engage in uh, collaborative practice with you within education and research is really important for us thank you pavel you're welcome thank you so much